the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Get up and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Oh, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything on your mind? Let's talk about it. Financially speaking, I'm going to do my best to try to give you really good, solid second opinions today on the headline news, but I'm also going to try to give you a little guidance on how to get to retirement and why that means so much to me. Wow. Just even right there, we can kind of start with this wow moment couple things. Um, well, I don't want to go there. Like every now and then I see a story, I'm like, no, let's not do that one. Let's, let's hold off on that one. I have an internal editor that sometimes turns on. And that internal editor is like, no, we don't need another Russia story at this point. We'll get there, maybe. So S&P 500 is a market index that we look at. It is a great market index that has worked over time. It has recently hit record highs, even though that market index has had to deal with high unemployment, a great recession, big banks failing. It's had to deal with Russia invading Ukraine. It's had to deal with high oil prices. Assassination of a president or two. It's had to deal with a world war or two. Vietnam, Korea, Cuban Missile Crisis. It always seems to power ahead. But on a day-by-day, it looks like one of those, quick, doctor, get the electrical things, stat clear, kind of thing, right? It's very dramatic. It, It very much so... On a day-by-day basis, you probably don't want to play that game. On a month-by-month basis, it's a little bit better. But on a year-over-year basis, it's wonderful. So far for the month of June, it looks horrible. But then again, we're only a couple days into June. Lack of conviction on the buy side. I'm honestly thinking more vacations than I am anything else. Sell side this week is being attributed to a wait-and-see stance in front of the ECB policy decision. It's just not a lot of volume this week. Everyone's expecting some kind of easing by the ECB, yet no one knows exactly how it'll look. Murmurings about a cut in the refinance rate at the minimum. 
yet the assumption is there's going to be some sort of combo effort trying to take the deposit rate negative, i.e. introduce a new long-term refinancing operation, kind of like quantitative easing. Stock markets, of course, get enthused by this notion. Policy stimulus. Is it really worth cheering policy stimulus? I guess not, right? We're several years into the ECB and the European Central Bank basically with their whatever it takes to defend the euro. And yet, here we are with the ECB needing to do more in order to fend off deflation. Peculiar crossroads right now on Wall Street. These crossroads don't last a day. They're lasting months and quarters. How is it that we eventually move from uh, almost a 0% interest rate environment to a more normalized interest rate environment? What's it going to look like? So we continue to watch the ECB. Thursday, tomorrow is the big day. That could be one of those stories that moves the market pretty aggressively. ADP unemployment change, or the ADP employment change. ADP's employment, uh, tomorrow we get unemployment numbers. Or Friday we get unemployment numbers. Tomorrow we get first time unemployed. It's a big jobs number on Friday. Big jobs number. It's a big back end of the week. ADP employment change report estimated 179,000 jobs were added to private payrolls. Expectations were for about 200,000. Weaker than expected. First quarter productivity was revised to negative 3.2%. Unit labor costs in turn were revised up. So with the decline in productivity and with an increase in hourly compensation, we may need to hire more people. The headline is a negative story. The bottom line or the, the details of the story is a positive one. There's, only, there's a teeter-totter where workers work too much. And employers like, you know what, I need to go hire someone new. Again, this isn't the greatest economy. It's like lumpy mashed potatoes. It's not perfect. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. Another big story of the day. And I know you're going to, like, I can hear the booze coming. Trade deficit jumps as Americans buy imports. Boring. The gap grew by 6.9%. The $47.2 billion for the month. A rebound in the U.S. growth after a harsh winter is likely being driven by gains in the consumer spending and business investment world. And ultimately, we are bolstering imports. BMW just had their best month ever. As did Nissan. Best month ever. Does that tell you that things are okay? Kind of does, right? So, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to get to that story, am I? Uh, France is training hundreds of Russian seamen how to operate a powerful warship. And the United States just sent some more troops over to Europe, a couple boats over to Europe. A group of 400 Russian sailors are arriving in France to be trained on how to operate a powerful French-made warship. One of two that Paris is selling to Moscow right now. Some of the Russians will then pilot the first 
of two uh, big old carriers back to Russia in October, unless France's allies get their way. The U.S. has long objected to deal worth more than $1.6 billion. So the U.S. is saying it's going to augment Russia's military capabilities against the very nations that now appear to be most vulnerable to the Kremlin's pressure. So we got that going on. I don't know. Should we just all go back to bed? I was listening to a little CNBC this morning while I was driving. and uh, They're giving away a pillow signed by all the morning hosts. Who would want a pillow signed by CNBC hosts? Like, should I give away a pillow signed by me? Would anyone want that? Would you want my drool stains on it, or would you want it brand new? Like, I, to me, that just sounds weird. That sounds like someone trying to come up with ideas. Maybe I'm talking about it, so maybe it's a winner, right? Winning. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money investing more. Taking a look at the markets today, um, ADP employment report missed expectations. European markets on the defensive. Strength today is seen in financials and not much else. S&P 500 sounds fractions. Dow's down 18. NASDAQ up 3. Walmart's struggling to ring back U.S.-made products. That's not a surprise. I'm Rob Black. Got a big event coming up on the 19th in Palo Alto. It's a Thursday night. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Half of Americans, 52%, have had to make at least one major sacrifice in order to cover their rent or mortgage over the last three years. That's according to a new survey that's out. Let's think about that. Half of us, you or me, in theory, have had to make some sort of sacrifice. Sacrifice including getting a second job, deferring savings for retirement, cutting back on health care, running up credit card debt, or even moving to a less safe neighborhood or one with worse schools. Affordability issues are real. Okay. You or me have had to make a sacrifice. I'll say this. um, At times when you look at your mortgage payments, they're intimidating. You're like, whoa. I'll get emails from people who are trying to save for retirement, like, we'd like to save more, but we also want to pay the mortgage. Um, I get emails from people who have financially engineered their way out of problems, and they'll go for just the lowest interest rate possible. They want a 15-year mortgage. They'll settle for a 30-year. 
they want a 15-year, but they'll settle for a five-year, five-one arm. So affordability issues are real, and sometimes we don't even know it. Would I have liked to save more money last year? Absolutely. Did I feel like I made a sacrifice? No. But I get it. Only by adding new supply via housing starts can home prices be tamed. At this point, it feels home prices have increased 20% over the past two years, while wages have barely gone up. 15% of American households, or 15% of American homeowners, better way of saying that, we're living in housing markets where the monthly mortgage payment on a median price home requires more than 30% of monthly income. I was talking to some group of college kids yesterday at UC Santa Cruz, and some of my notes, I'm like, talk about home, buying a home. And then I'm like, no, these 20-somethings probably aren't going to be buying a home anytime soon, and if I talk about it, it's just going to be something that I make them aware of, which is great. But they won't actually get any real use out of it anytime soon. 15% of American homeowners are spending more than 30% of their income. Now, the general rule of thumb is you should spend 28 to 40% of your income on your servicing your, your home. The less, the better. Mortgage payments represent 77% of the median income in San Francisco. That's pretty unaffordable. Mortgage rates are still quite low. Down payments, poor credit, tighter lending standards remain some of the big hurdles out there. Some people are starting to cool, and this is a nightmare scenario to a homeowner. Some people are starting to cool on the idea that owning a home is an excellent long-term investment and one of the best ways for people to build wealth and assets. 70% of renters aspire to own a home. Some 58% that renters... believe that renters can be just as successful as owners of achieving that American dream. Those aren't good numbers if you own a home because renters are starting to figure out, you know what, I don't mind renting. If you own a home, you get a lot of perks, but I guess I'm saying if you own a home and want to sell it, these aren't good numbers. So, you know, the positive is that a lot of Americans own homes and seeing home prices go up. It's, it's risen them out of negative equity. But that's not good. Here's a horror story, ladies and gentlemen. The horror story that is your worst nightmare. Coffee drinkers are getting a taste of the higher price. James Mucker, who is a big brewer, they were the first U.S. roaster to lift coffee prices in three years, and coffee prices are up 9%. Now, J.M. Smuckers is tied to like Dunkin' Donuts and Folgers. This will eventually hit your beloved Phil's Coffee, Pete's Coffee, Starbucks Coffee. Price increases the latest sign that a spike in coffee futures is trickling down to consumers. A big drought in Brazil is reducing global supplies of coffee beans. Brazil produces about half of the world's Arabica coffee beans. That's the variety used by Starbucks and others. Now, I once drank a cup of lemur coffee, lemur butt coffee as I refer to it, where 
a lemur eats the coffee nut, then poops out, then some farmer picks up said coffee, said poop, cleans it off, makes coffee. It's one of those rare delicacies, and it is darn delicious. Um, if you ever get a chance to do it, do it. Pleasantly surprised on the general aspect of um, the outlook on Brazilian coffee, but short-term prices are spiking, which means you're going to have to give up coffee or you're going to have to pay more for coffee. Coffee demand worldwide grows about 2% a year, despite the higher prices. Consumers still are likely to see their coffee prices climb. So cost of coffee is up about 55% for the brewers this year. Now, I don't know. I think I've talked enough about coffee. I must move on. You must move on. I must move on. SP 500 down 2, Dow's down 37, the NASDAQ up fractions. So Friday's jobs report, it's a big one. It's one that will, I'm not going to say make or break the market. It's important. The outlook's pretty rosy. Um, so we're looking for an increase of 200,000. Anything over 113,000, and we'll finally have recovered all the jobs lost in the financial crisis. Now, let's look around at our friends and family. Do we feel that we've, what was lost in jobs has been recovered? Do we feel that? Breaking even on the jobs lost, jobs recovered, long time coming. It took two years to wipe out 8.7 million American jobs. It took more than four years to recover them all. So it's one of the longest jobs recovery on record since we've been tracking data since 1939. Some states haven't recovered, like Nevada and Arizona. They were hardest hit by the housing bust. Some states with energy booms, like North Dakota, are doing great. You can find me online at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, including coffee. We'll take a break here. Be right back. CEO, Lenar's big home builder, Stuart Miller, spoke today and he said, right now we're trending to about a million housing starts per year. Normalized housing somewhere about 1.5 million. He pointed out that housing starts fell below 500,000 in 2009. 
So you can kind of see the high, or you can kind of see the normalized, where we are now and how bad it got. This company is one of the biggest home builders. He predicted a slow, steady recovery over the next three to five years. He sees challenges, and what he sees is mortgage markets really not enabling demand to form at normalized levels. He also says there's insufficient growth in the number of households. So he's blaming the millennials. More of the millennial generation are doubling up, living at home. It's unclear as to when household formation will resume, whether this generation is going to resume at the same stage of life as generations in the past have formed households. He thinks it will happen at some point. Millennials are people born between the early 1980s and the early 2000s. The housing industry will have to play a little catch-up. He thinks we're underproducing what's needed for a growing population. Um, I can tell you inventory levels on homes are lean, and it's problematic. So that's what we've got going on there. If we were to tie another story on the housing and just, like, say, to a sector, it's a whole segment on housing, right? Lowest mortgage rates in a year are doing nothing for mortgages. I've got a friend who's in the business, Tony Mendez from Bay Area Loan Source. Dot com Thursday nights here at KDOW AM twelve twenty from six to seven PM. Mortgage rates fell last week and we're not seeing a pickup in demand. Average interest rate for a thirty year fixed mortgage with conforming balance of four hundred seventeen thousand or less decreased by four by decreased to four point two six percent. That's a pretty damn good rate. So People just start running out and saying, let's let's do it. Let's buy a house. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Number one thing is don't be shy. S&P 500 is down one. The Dow is down 30. The NASDAQ up one. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's my personal mortgage lender, and he's someone you can use. He'll get the loan done. Let's talk about toughness on loans. It is a concept that I don't think a lot of people think about. Is it tougher for a 30-year-old to get a loan than a 60-year-old in general, just by age? Yes. Okay, and why is that? Uh, usually credit, and okay. debt ratios, income, down payment, everything. All things being the same, is it easier for someone to get a mortgage if it's the second or third mortgage they've got in their life versus the first. Well, it's going to say, it, 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 they're not going to discriminate on age to begin with. It's, it's, it's more of just, you know, how you've set up your life over a period of time. Right. Gen- generally, the, you know, the older, you know, Generation X, gener- you know, baby boomers have more income, just more equity, more, more savings, yeah. and, and, so, and better credit scores and so on. So in general, yes, you're going to see that difference, but the, the, it really comes down to the ratios and the credit score and, and your down payment. Let's move on to the second one that I just brought up um, and move off of age and move into, if I've had three mortgages in my life, is okay. it, the fourth one going to be easier to get than the first one? The only reason I can think of is that you have a better credit score because you okay. have more trade lines, but okay. it could be. It, it, and what it all comes down to is, is the higher credit scores means it, it, you get a better rate, which means it's more affordable. So, yes, so it does trickle down into easier financing. 35-year-old wants to, he's got great credit. He wants to spend $500,000 on a single-family home or $500,000 on a condo. Is the condo going to have a higher rate because it's not quite as attractive to the lenders of potentially taking over in foreclosure as a single-family? 
Well, it could be several reasons why the rate could be higher or your payments could be higher. First of all, you have an HOA due, okay, and that HOA due calculate into an aggregate interest rate um, as though if it was a single-family residence. Second, it could be a non a non-warrantable condo, meaning it, it's had a litigation on it, or there's too many renter-occupied instead of owner-occupied, which means you have to go to alternative portfolio financing, which could end up with a higher rate, and, and you could be in an ARB, so you, you're a little bit riskier product. That's one of the reasons condos are, are, are risky and why, if I was a condo HOA, I would focus on keeping my, my tenants in line, saying this is what I need in order for us to continue being able to sell and, and refinance. Keep, keep our numbers in line as far as all, all the 30 points that are on this HOA questionnaire that could cause it to be non-warrantable. Um, so, yeah, there's a big difference in financing uh, if you're a 35-year-old financing a condo than it is single-family. It can be cheaper. But, of course, you're going to spend more money on the single-family residence to begin with. Okay. Is Would you get a rate lower if, like, you had 30% down versus 20% down? In general, you are going to get a lower rate with more money down, yes. it's called, They're called risk-layered factors or adjustments. Huh. So the more equity you have, the better pricing you're going to get, which can translate into a lower rate, yes. And a lot of times if you have, for example, people, investors with bad credit, there's a lot of investors that buy properties on a yearly basis, and they, they have bad credit. It's because they have a lot of equity or down payment, which kind of compensates for the lower credit score. That's interesting. As a mortgage lender, using these factors that we've talked about, sometimes age, sometimes how many mortgages you've had, some debt that you're carrying, can people work with you or can you work with people and show them, look, if you put another 5000 down or $10,000 down, 5% or another 10% down, you'll get a much better rate. Absolutely. So you have something that tells you um, Rob qualifies for 4.5, but if he throws down another 10%, it'll be 4.2? It really should be the most rudimentary skill of a loan officer to be able to know those kinds of, of, of differences between down payment and percentages. And it's all about, the, like, again, those risk-layered adjustments, and, and it's the way a lender or an investor is going to price your loan out. It's, you know, you're, you're a different person than everybody else, and they're going to be different than their, you know, their neighbor. And you know, theoretically, one guy could have a $3,000 mortgage on the same house, and another guy could have a $2,800 mortgage, and it all comes down to how much money he put down, how much credit score, and what interest rate he ends up with, and it's based on your character. A friend of mine predicted five years ago that mortgages will be bought and sold on Wall Street at some point in time. Not really happening, but do you see a, a day and age where people can go to Sears and get a mortgage, or people can go to Amazon? Yes, I do. Okay, so you think it's become more... You can go to Costco and get a mortgage. Costco. Has loans? Yep. I didn't know that. They do everything. Yep, they do everything. The thing they got into recently is money wiring, and they're doing it cheap, and they're basically killing Western Union, killing them. I like that. With that said, you can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, there's not a lot of great stories out there today. There's a lot of economic kind of twists. Trade deficit jumps as Americans buy more imports. The U.S. economy is expanding, so we're pulling imports from abroad. So exports really didn't move at all, and that was kind of unexpected. Sign of a relative weakness around the world. Sign of, again, the U.S. consumer doing better than some others. Do you have a favorite French restaurant? 
That's a good question, right? Is it elegant? Is it rustic? Is it exquisite? Bon appetit. So, the U.S. has recovered all the jobs, and probably on Friday we're going to have all the jobs recovered from the Great Recession, that we lost a lot. Is that feel right to you, or does that feel kind of like, eh? Walmart has a big push to buy more made in America, and that will affect imports versus exports, right? We don't want to import way, 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 way more than we export. We do. But in theory, we kind of want that more balanced. When Walmart pledged last year to buy an extra $250 billion in U.S.-made goods over the next decade, it appeared that, you know, that could help America, and it could help our manufacturing renaissance, per se. Companies that made a huge leap and said, you know, we're going to manufacture more in the United States. It's tough. There's a lot of factors working against made in America, especially if you're starting from scratch. Reshoring projects in various stages of development is a process. So things like toe straps or tie-down bungee cords... Um, there's a company that had a hard time locating a U.S. maker of a polyester yarn. So made in America is really turning out to be very difficult as far as pushes go for Walmart. We give, I, I think, I can be fair here, I think we give Walmart some kudos for trying. It's regretful. French Laundry, Thomas Keller Chef. Is that your favorite French restaurant? Um, inspired by country restaurants. French Laundry is unique. It's very much so a French-American restaurant. No single ingredient is ever repeated throughout the meal. Typical meals cost 295 doleros. Can I get a whoa, whoa, whoa? 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Thanks for listening to the show. Black in your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Please don't be shy. I won't bite. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, anything. I try to kind of like stand by that. Stand by your man. One of the more interesting stories of the day, as far as things that we could talk about. In the first hour, I go over a lot of business stories. Second hour, I try to do a little bit more financial planning, money issues. 
Um, one of the things I'd like to talk about, um, some of the tech stories. We kind of live in tech world, living in the Bay Area, for now. I've seen that tech world become a lot bigger in New York City and other parts of the world. So barriers to entry continue to get smaller. But Pandora's had a, an awful fall recently. It's gone from $40 a share down to $24 a share. Now, for the year, the last 52 weeks, it's actually gone um, from about $12 a share, no, about $18 a share to 24 So Pandora getting kind of hit today because there's news out that affects it. United States is expected to review rules covering Pandora songwriter fees. Decades-old argument that governs songwriter royalties. There's been a lot of court battles between rights holders and Pandora. So our Justice Department is going to examine the operation and effectiveness of the consent decree that goes back to 1941. Now just saying that makes you think, 1941, shouldn't we have different music rules and how we compensate singer-songwriters? Uh, it was tied towards the American Society of Composers. Like, I, There's really a society of composers? Who knew? How can I get the, the gig of president of that? So, wait, wait. Let me read you the whole title, and then you tell me, who knew? The American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers in Broadcast Music. Pandora shares, a little bit weaker. Now, just Spurman's reviewing it doesn't mean they're going to do anything. It could, but it could lead to changes in governing how much Pandora, the leader of internet radio, has to pay songwriters each time their works are played. ASCAP and BMI, both based in New York, they represent hundreds of thousands of songwriters, composers, and publishers. They've argued in court with Pandora that the agreements with the Justice Department don't take into account the rise of the digital media. So you go back to 1941, and it's like, digital media... Holy mackerel, this should be changed. So, you love your free music, right? I know you do. I think I recently heard 11% of all radio listings now on Pandora. So Pandora pays songwriters separately from performers. What? Now, songwriters make up a bigger chunk of expenses. Pandora is a company based in Oakland, California. In March this year, a federal judge in Manhattan ruled that Pandora must pay 1.85% of revenue to ASCAP from 2011-2015. That's a higher rate than Pandora had proposed. Pandora could get them into a problem where they can't afford. Or they just won't... They need more sales. They need more commercials to afford to continue to play so much great, wonderful music that we program. Pandora has 77 million active listeners. That's up 9% from last year. The company has 70% share of the internet radio market. Think Spotify. Consent decrees reached in antitrust cases against the group require broadcasters and performing rights to seek license rates determinations. But new technologies is the kicker here. So even before the iPod was introduced, new technologies have dramatically transformed the way people listen to music. So a system that dates back to 1941 is probably outdated. 
So we'll keep our eyes on that one. Now, when you take a look at the Pandora stock, for Pandora stock, it's looking interesting. It's trading at next year's 48 times earnings, which means it's expensive. But it's also at a market cap valuation that maybe someone takes a shot at it. Apple could certainly afford $5 billion. Microsoft could certainly do it. Google could certainly do it. So at $24 a share, downside's probably 18 Upside is momentum. Momentum stocks aren't exactly sexy right now. Some people would go as far as to say that we're avoiding momentum stocks as a stock market. So a little justice review on Pandora. I find that one interesting, to say the least. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. We're at the mid-year of 2014. Remember when you're young and full of exuberance? Well, that's not what the market feels like today. That was last year when we were up 32%. This year, the SP 500 is up 3%, roughly halfway through the year. But yet, most people, like myself, say there's a little bit more life in this market. So, conservatively speaking, I think the SP 500 could double the returns this year from 3% to 6%. And that's not crazy. I'm almost going to say, let's make that our call for now until we see some more data. We're five years into a bull market. 2014 is being a bit of a test year. We've kind of got that midlife crisis on the interest rates, but we're also balancing that with some other thoughts tied towards earnings growth and jobs growth. So cost cutting has been the number one reason we've had big, fat, plump earnings in the last four years, five years. We need to do something better than cost-cutting. Big event coming up June 19th at the Elks Club in Palo Alto. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. That's 408-947-70. You need it in your community. Find your local Feeding America Food Bank at Feeding America. Welcome in. Rob Black, everybody. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Eh. Let's see what we got today. Let's see if I can't make, make some gold out of this hay that we have here today. June is a summer month, and it doesn't really mean that much. If I were to rate my time that I, I've paid most attention to, it's probably going to be the back half of the year, kind of like the August through December, because that's when our economy chugs or doesn't chug. And we started 2014, quite honestly, with the idea that it's going to get better. We're going to add jobs. Tomorrow we're going to, well, on Friday, we're going to recover all the jobs lost in financial crisis. As someone correctly pointed out, we haven't recovered great jobs. We've recovered okay jobs. Now, some of the jobs we've lost were particularly tied towards financials. Worthy of note that those are jobs that some people probably aren't qualified for. 
So we're halfway through the year, almost. It's not quite July, but it's starting to get early on into June. One of our biggest transitions the market's going to have to make is, as we add more jobs, we're probably going to have higher interest rates. And that'll change the way we allocate money to fixed income strategies. It'll change the way we allocate money towards long-term growth strategies. Investors have to be anticipating the tightening. As for earnings growth out there, and again, interest rates are historically low levels. We're not at norms. And no one's expecting us to go to highs. Maybe closer to historical norms. But that'd still be a big psychological move and something that fundamentally people will change the way they throw their money around. Companies have got to be less dependent on profit margins going forward. A lot of companies have made their money by managing their staff. Right-sizing, cost-cutting. A recent recent jump in mergers and acquisitions and buyouts is aimed at buying revenue growth. You'd probably want to see some growth come from, like, new goods and new services. And we haven't really seen that. A lot of growth in the future is going to hinge on whether the economy can finally accelerate convincingly. A lot of people see GDP this year at about 2.4%, up from 1.9% in 2013. So the market was up 32% when our GDP year was only up 1.9%. That's a little out of whack. And again, it's telling you that something's happening with the profit margins. So... Companies have been stockpiling cash. How do we get them to spend it? In recent years, companies have been generous on dividends and stock buybacks. A little resurgence in corporate spending on physical assets such as factories, equipment, and office space has been the missing link to more robust economic growth. So right now, the time is like perfect for capital spending recovery. It would be nice for... Congress could somehow help figure this out. It'd be nice. Not really expecting it, but it would be nice. So how do you handle your your portfolio? Buybacks are losing a little bit of flavor or favor. 20% of companies with large number of share buybacks in relation to their respective model have outpaced the S&P 500 by 9 percentage points in 2013. So shareholders now want companies to spend money on capital equipment, not on buybacks, dividends, and acquisitions. So capital equipment is pretty interesting play here, if you have courage. Tilting your portfolio to economic-sensitive companies that tend to benefit the most economic growth pickups you would probably be looking at Eaton Corporation, which makes industrial equipment. They acquired Cooper Industries, it's boosting their revenues, and companies' electrical products, services unit. Pretty, pretty good. Another company you'd probably look at is Oracle. Oracle has a lot of opportunities in cloud computing, but it's trading at just 13 times this year's earnings, and that makes it valuable. Occidental Petroleum, a resource-rich energy company, 
It's got decades worth of drilling opportunities with existing assets. It's got a great balance sheet, probably the best in their industry. Or if you want a little bit more diversification, which I always like for the average investor, maybe you'd look at something like iShares U.S. Industrials, and that's ticker symbol IYJ. So you're looking for some sort of capital industrial movement. Now, there's always going to be what I hate come November this year. We've got elections. So we're about to see more and more commercials for I'm a better candidate than him. He's a slime of candidate. So, banana slugs. You want to talk banana slugs? Never get one on you. They're nasty, nasty, evil creatures. That's my opinion on banana slugs. Thank you for your time and attention. So when economic growth lags, investors bid up the stocks of companies that have rapidly growing earnings, so-called growth stocks. But with the confidence in the economy improving, it makes sense to you know gravitate towards stocks selling at bargain levels relative to their earnings. Some names that look attractive right now, Caterpillar, Tesla, IBM, Merck, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. I think the corner drugstore is becoming more and more tied towards families. So I think CVS Caremark, there's some CVS, is a strong name. Wells Fargo, which is trading at 12 times next year's earnings, yields 2.8%. It's navigated the financial crisis well. So I'm in. I'm not a type of person who says, the market needs a 20 to 30% correction. I'm out. See you in October. If that happens, that guy comes back in October and makes me look like a fool. That's great. I'm happy for him. I don't think that's the way people should invest. Because when you least expect it, that's when the market does the opposite. But again, I'm talking, you know, outside of my mouth right now. Um, buying a home and selling a home, you try to, if you're a seller, you try to figure out what the buyers want, right? What features are the most attractive? For me, it's a gold toilet. What is it for you? A lot of people want a good laundry room. A lot of people want exterior lighting. Um, solid windows, energy star, energy star qualified. Garage source space, storage space. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Point 0.1% Dow Industrials down 28 points. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I've got a big event coming up in Palo Alto, June 19th. Sign up today at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Don't be shy. If you were to only buy one stock, what stock should you buy? I don't think you should buy stocks. Buying a stock should happen after you accumulate $100,000, not before. I think you should accumulate $100,000 in ETFs and mutual funds. Um... There's one called SPY, which is the SP 500. 
it's fine. If you're not going to go with a broad index like the Russell 3000 or the Wilshire 5000, maybe you go with something that's really big, like a Johnson & Johnson, or something that has a lot of holdings inside of it, like a Berkshire Hathaway, if you're going to buy just one. And again, I tend not to recommend that. Um, why? Because it takes a lot of work to stay on top of investing. And I think people make a lot of mistakes. Taking a look at some of the markets today. We're in an interesting time. We're in June, where there's not a lot of volume. People are thinking about their suntans, not necessarily stock market. The SP 500's up one. The Dow's down three. The Nasdaq up ten. Welcome in, CFP Chad Burton. Chad Burton of NewFocusFinancial.com. He's a certified financial planner. That's what he does for a living. Chad, one of the products out there, and Wall Street's products, whether you think of it as products or not, it is. Stock's a product. Mutual fund's a product. There's a commission involved, an exchange of money. But one of the products out there are, are annuities. Mm-hmm. And annuities have some promises to them because they're insurance companies, but they also have some investments to them because they're investment products as well. Yeah, and you know, I know a lot about annuities because when I got into the business, I got in, um, started working with my grandfather. He worked at banks for years selling annuities and mutual funds, and back then, annuities were a very attractive product because capital gains taxes were at 27%, right? So anytime you changed an investment, you'd get nailed with taxes, so deferring that in an annuity made a lot of sense. Well, deferring that in an annuity these days when capital gains taxes are at 15% or even 20 if they go up to 20% next year, they're just not as attractive because the fees in variable annuities are usually one and a half to three percent higher than just buying a mutual fund directly. So the higher fees eat up all of the tax incentives that you get for doing it these days. And unfortunately, it, it ends up being one of the hottest selling products out there when there's a lot of market fear because they offer certain bells and whistles, which you really end up paying for. And do you need those bells and whistles? To me, an investment is 20 to 40 years. Minimum five. Yeah. So 99% of the people know. Um, so in a, in a, first of all, there's no-load variable annuity products, and I right. use I use a couple of them because okay. they're pretty good. They're great bond alternatives, and I'll talk about that maybe in a minute if we have time. But but the benefits that you don't really need, first of all, what the company usually says is that, let's say you put in $100,000, and the market tanks 50%, and you die. Okay. And the, the account's worth 50. Your heirs will get the original $100,000. But they charge like 1.5% a year for that death benefit, right? For a $50,000 death benefit. 1.5% on 100 grand is $1,500. You could probably buy $500,000 of life insurance for that. So the only person that would want that is if you're scared of the market, you know you're going to die in the next couple of years, and you want a death benefit for your heirs, then you might buy a variable annuity. That has a death benefit guarantee. But again, you're also looking at a low-cost variable annuity. And the problem with variable annuities is most of them are sold by insurance guys who don't really know about investments because yes. they know about insurance. So there are a couple good no-load variable annuities. You know a variable annuity is bad if, number one, it ties up your money for a period of time. So if it ties up your money for over a year, it's a loaded product. Somebody's getting a commission. Big right? commission. Not yeah. just a small commission. Big commission. If the internal fees are, you know approaching that 2% range, you know, it's a big loaded product. And and the sales pitches are really good because the person selling it to you makes usually 5 to 7% on what you put in. So $100,000 is a $7,000 commission. 
and they could go as high as nine percent. Right, and they 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 act like they're going to help you manage your money because usually inside these things there's thirty different investment choices that look like mutual funds, and they set you up initially, and then you never hear from them again because they're looking for the next you to sell to. So the other benefit that is out there that people are buying most of now is the lifetime guarantee benefit. Okay. Right? And unfortunately, people think that their principal is guaranteed. All that the insurance companies are doing is saying that if you put in $100,000, we'll guarantee that we'll pay out at you know 4 or 5% a year for the rest of your life, no matter what the market does. Okay. Um, but the problem is, is that on the high-fee ones, you end up paying for that in the long run because they, they, the way that the fees are structured it ends up eating in so much to the principal value that you end up behind the game in 10 years. Some of the no-load products, though, that are out there that offer 55 to 6% for the rest of your life, no matter what the market does, and they have lower fees, like around the 1.6% range, it's a decent bond alternative for part of your IRA account. But only until bonds are, are you know get to that 5 to 6% yield range. So let's say in three years you want to just buy the bonds directly, you're, you're going to want to be able to get out of the variable annuity. But, Rob, with, with all that said, it is a good idea to have at least 20% of your income coming from, in retirement, some sort of a guaranteed source outside of Social Security. Okay. So that's why I am using some no-load uh, annuities that guarantee income for life for you know maybe 5 to 20% of a portfolio, depending on the situation. But they're no-load products, so that if I want to leave in two years, I can get my client out of them without any additional costs. Good stuff. Anything else that we need to know about? Um, younger people, it's just, you know, there's really not a lot of need for younger people to save in variable annuities. The way that you structure it is, is that you buy low-cost, low-turnover total stock market and index funds in your taxable accounts, and, you know, your balanced, your international, your small cap, and your retirement accounts, and you'll essentially get a lot of tax deferral that way anyway. So don't, younger people shouldn't be paying for the higher fees in variable annuities at all. Fixed annuities, they're great products when interest rates are like six, seven, eight percent, but they're not at six, seven, eight percent right now. No, it's, it's you get you run too much risk because most of the time fixed annuities will tie your money up for three to five years, like in a like a CD. Yeah, and they're, but they're not guaranteed by the FDIC; they're guaranteed by the insurance company offering them. So um, you can look at them though when yeah rates are higher and they're coming down. Um, they're they're again a good bond or a cash alternative if you're getting them from higher rated insurance companies and if they're only like three to five years long and you know you don't need the money for that period of time. Sounds good. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com, and he is a certified financial planner. So home prices have increased a lot in the last two years. And they got into a lot of problems in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. And then we started seeing, like, okay, it's going to turn around sometime between 2012, 2015. It turned around in 2012, at the front end of that. And 2013, 2014 have been very good years. But the housing market now needs more supply to tame house prices. Construction of housing units is average around 1.5 million for the past five decades, but it's likely to be less than 1 million this year. Bit of a problem. You can find me online, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. You can find me on Facebook, Cron4, Rob Black. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, 
back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. When you listen, I kind of pledge to help as much as I can. Credit and debt are two areas that we should always talk about on a regular basis. I think some people obsess over credit scores. And then I was talking to college kids yesterday who don't have credit. I was a little shocked that they have questions about credit. I've really dated myself from when I was in college because I was like, I don't remember being as concerned about credit as you are. Credit's really a unique thing. Your credit score, you can get a free credit report every year from the three big credit bureaus, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. So if you can get one free from each, that means you can get one free every four months. It's a good thing to do. Um, Why do I say that? A credit report, whether you're young or old, when you pull it, you can see how many jobs you've had, how many lines of credit you've had in your history. Have you been good or bad about paying your credit? It's important to check on before you go to an employer. You submit a resume, and then your employer checks your credit and finds out that, you know, you were put in jail for credit card fraud, and it turns out, oh, that's just another Rob Black, not the Rob Black. <clears throat> So check it. Uh, There's no harm in it. Be patient with your credit. Don't try to, like, get it up to a perfect score. I think that's kind of crazy obsession. My credit's good right now. But I even was was questioning myself recently because my credit card company offered to double my limit. I was like, should I do that? Double my limit. Double my capacity to get into trouble. Um, and I, you know, ultimately, I was like, no, "I'm okay." One of the things that hits your hurts your credit score, or helps your credit score, is how much capacity do you have? Right now, do you have ten credit cards open with a limit of a thousand? That means you have the capacity to get into ten thousand dollars trouble, maybe a little bit more. If you want a good credit score, a great credit score. You carry some credit. You carry some uh, month to month. Uh, 30% is the number, but that's where it's kind of a damnation game because one of the first things I told the, the kids, I'm like, okay, pay off, have a credit card, it's fine, but pay it off every month. And then to have a great credit score, you're supposed to carry some credit. Later in life, you'll carry some credit. Don't worry about it. You're going to carry that devil's water, per se. Mortgages will hit. Something will come in. A car payment. Student loans. So you'll have some debt to equity or debt to uh, credit. And it's okay. Um, I said, like, okay, kids, give up on the ATM machine. Grow up. If you need money, go straight to the bank. Don't use ATM machines out of network ever. They're too expensive to get your own money. I got looks like, you're a goat. Why is a goat talking right now? Like They were just quizzically looking at me. Um, I said, okay, 
if you want to buy a car, buy a house when you come out of college, I get it. You know, you're going to want to like do all this fast and I think be patient with it. If you do know that you're going to be buying a car, new or used, I recommend used, take a look at your credit, annualcreditreport.com. Make sure everything's right. And do some things to like boost your credit score so that you can look, get as low of a payment as possible. Um, if there's anything wrong on your credit report, dispute it. If there's anything derogatory, dispute it or explain Credit companies will remove derogatory marks sometimes if you say things like, you know what, I was getting a divorce, lost my mind, got an apartment, got a young girlfriend, wife decided to rip up all the bills. I'm sorry. This is how I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again. I'm going to set up all my bills online, which I've already done, and they're automatically going to be taken out of my paycheck or out of my bank account. That might help your credit report, believe it or not. If you can show that you fixed the issue, they're pretty forgiving. Much like judges. How do I know that? I don't want to talk about that. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. So one of the best areas to get information on credit cards, and like they're like, what's the best credit card to have, Mr. Black? Well, it depends on you. If you want a good credit card for travel... That's different than a good credit card for money back. I like the money back. I, I automatically save it, so I like it. There's a good website to find the credit cards that you want. Creditcards.com. Cardhub.com. Bankrate.com. Um, for road trips, like the PenFed Platinum Rewards Visa... It offers points towards travel, merchandise, or money on a prepaid card. You get five points for every dollar you spent on gas, three points for every dollar on groceries, one point for all of the purchases. So that's a great gas card. A great gas card. If you take a look at what Shell's offering or other gas companies, you'll be like, 3%? So if you could do it, and for instance, I've got the Target Red card, 5% off at the register. Why not? That's better than my, you know, 1.5% cash back or my 3% miles. Like, uh, okay, I'm in. So the website's again to look at for credit cards. Creditcards.com, cardhub.com, and bankrate.com. And you could, like, differentiate it. So you could say things like, I don't want an annual fee. Well, welcome to the world of 18 to 25% rates. My mind is going to explode if I ever forget to pay off my credit card. Because paying 18 to 25% interest, I... Blah. That's what I have to say about that. What do you think about that, Mom? Your son just threw up on radio. Blah. Did it again. <laughs> One of the greatest things I ever saw in my life was... I was on a first date. And I was asking... You know, you ask flirty little questions, and she said the best, most fantastic thing ever. She said, I could put my hand inside my mouth. I was like, I have to see this. And slowly but surely, she put her hand inside. We're at a restaurant. She puts her hand inside my mouth. And then it got stuck, and she started laughing. It was the craziest sound I've ever heard, because it sounded like she was throwing up on her fist, and it was coming back down. It was, <laughs> so she was laughing. 
And it just made me just, like, delightfully happy. I don't know why. Okay, I do know why. I just think it's funny. So, um, 800-516-1220 to each calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Something I told the kids in the Santa Cruz yesterday. I said, the best thing you're going to be able to do, and you can't do this now, is when you get a job, you're going to have a chance to get 401k or 403b or 457. And I said, just max it out 15%. And then I said, if you want to go home and smoke all the weed in the world, that's fine. If you want to travel California and see the sights, that's fine. The world will be your opportunity. If you want to travel Europe, that's fine. Just save 15% every year for the first 10 years of your life. Listen to this. If you save $250 a month from age 25 to 65, that's 40 years, you'll end up with, and you get an 8% return, you'll end up with $1.5 million. If you save $250 from age 35 to 65, you end up with a little bit more than $500,000. That's pretty crazy. So someone who starts at 25, someone who starts at 35. Million dollar difference. Two hundred fifty dollars a month is three thousand dollars a year, and you start thinking about it, you can probably find that. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Ooh ooh ooh! I've got a secret. I know the ending of this week's Game of Thrones. Who wants to know? Who wants to know? Okay, I won't do that. But anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Elon Musk said something kind of interesting recently. Elon Musk, you know him, right? Leader of Tesla. He hinted at some big news coming up on patents. And some people think that he would be wise to open up some of his patents to the other car companies so that, you know, the more electric charging vehicles that are out there, the, the more costs come down. So will we see any big news coming out of Tesla anytime soon? I don't know. It's an interesting one, right? Sounds like, well, that could be disappointing. News on patents? You betcha. It certainly does seem like it could have some uh, weakness tied to it. So one of the pieces of advice that I gave the college kids is when it comes time to get your first line of credit, consider something like buying a $1,000 TV at Best Buy. But put it on credit, try to get 0% interest, and pay it off over 12 months. I know I'm telling you to go out and consume money and put money on credit, but it does show that you could pay it off over 12 months. Don't pay it off over three months. It'll look better if you do it slowly and surely. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black. 
talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Trying my best to find stories that work for you. ADP employment report missed expectations. European markets are on the defensive today. We're waiting to hear from ECB decision on policy tomorrow. And then Friday we get a big employment number in the United States. I don't want to you know, overplay it, but that's kind of what we're looking at for moving our market over the next couple of years. Um, and what I mean by that is we need jobs. The more jobs we have, the more our economy works. Um, when we see wage inflation, the more you know housing can work. People want to step up their home, but they need someone to buy their home. And our middle economy, our middle income, isn't doing the greatest. Has not been a lot of wage inflation there. The word inflation came up at yesterday's chatter with the kids at Santa Cruz. And I was like, this is the thing you need to be fearful of. When I was a kid, Cokes cost 25 cents. Now they cost $2. At, you know, like, can- not a candy store, but a uh, Coke machine. And when I'm 60, if I want a Coke, it's probably going to cost $3. So that's an issue. Apple is extending to a new high. It's 52-week high from last week, $644 a share, up 7 bucks today. I own shares of Apple. I don't think anyone was really crazy impressed with the developers' conference. I think it's all nice steps, and they seem to do everything a little bit better than Google, Android's operating system for the phones, and a little bit better than Samsung as far as their overall quality of uh, internals, guts on a phone. So Pandora is a stock I mentioned today, and I'm starting to see some opportunity. The headline risk is big. You know, negative reaction to ASCAP and BMI royalties could be a buying opportunity. Is it? If it was automatic, you know, for a buying opportunity to me, I'm buying it twice. I'm going to buy a little bit now. And a little bit after a period of time has passed. I don't want to look at a stock and kind of like, ooh. I want to look at a stock and say, I see some opportunity there. I don't get excitable. A lot of people have hated dating me in the past because I don't say things like, I love you. Kiss me, Maverick. Wow. Like, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not so intense and I'm not going to chase you on a motorcycle. It's not going to happen. Amazon.com has delayed its cloud player for Fire TV. That was something that uh, Apple came out with this week that I found very, like, reactionary. At one point in time, Steve Jobs really hated Dropbox. He was like, we'll, we'll, we'll beat you. And Apple came out with stronger product to try to beat Dropbox at their developers conference. So Pandora is not coming out with their monthly music metrics anymore. And that kind of sucks, because it's something that we, as investors, used to look at. And maybe it gave us a little bit of, you know, play. Apple acquired Beats Music. Amazon plans to launch a music service as part of its Prime later this year. So... In Pandora's last 
report on radio listening, there's a slight negative for share of the radio listener. But is that material enough to say, you know, the end is near? There was always a tech company called, like, Real Player that was... <clears throat> they so badly wanted to compete with Microsoft. And Microsoft just come, kept coming out with offerings that were better or similar. And Real was never, ever, never able to gain traction. Or what little traction they have never really turned into um, something positive. There's a company that just is private right now, and they just raised some money in financing. It's going to let you bid on restaurant seats. Now, the restaurant industry loves this because if you're a hot restaurant and everyone's dying to get in, how else can you make money? You're, you're busy for all of dinner. So if someone's collecting a fee from me because I want to impress the girlfriend, so I'm willing to throw down $100 to get a table. Think 1950s Frank Sinatra tipping the maitre d' to get a table. Restaurants that have, can only win from this. Very interesting, right? Twitter. Ad products are newer. Some ad checks are coming back positive right now. There's a lot of excitement from advertisers about Twitter as an ad platform. More ad budgets are flowing towards Twitter and Facebook. There's a big push towards direct response advertising. Most C-Mobile app installs as a huge monetization opportunity for Twitter. Twitter's ad partners... Um, speak with you know Twitter's ad revenue growth. It's remaining very strong over the next several quarters. So clients have spoken, and the level of interest towards allocating more budgets towards Twitter, they're interested. This is one of those positives on Twitter. You don't get a lot of positive stories on Twitter, do you? 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. Apple Worldwide's Developers Conference. Needham says it was all about the software. They crammed nonstop software demos into two hours. They think the big showstopper was Swift, a new program language that promises to revolutionize the development of software applications. They have a buy on the stock. But listen to this. They have a $590 target on it. Stock's at 640 Go figure. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.